I expect Canada to deliver on the pledge to uh, to uh, invest 2% of GDP uh, on defense because this is a promise we all uh, uh, made. Uh, Canada is a big economy, uh, a member of the G7. Uh, Canada is the second largest country in the world with a vast uh, coastlines, uh, Atlantic, uh, Arctic and uh, Pacific. So it really matters what Canada does. And that is uh, the voice of NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg. He basically said, look, Canada will have to deliver a timeline to complete its spending. They got to they got to get to the target of two percent. And we haven't been at two percent, certainly in our NATO spending for a very long time. But there's a lot of pressure growing from allies. And so, yeah, people expect Canada to set up and meet our obligation. And you might you might recall that last um, August, I think it was the Washington Post revealing that privately uh, Trudeau had stated to NATO members that we will never meet two percent because to do that we would have to, you know, uh, restock here, which is about three hundred billion, just to get weapons and ammo and ships and planes and you know spruce up our bases. But this is also a government that has now signaled you know they're cutting another billion in defense spending. So on one side, you've got the pressure up by NATO and our allies. You've got Donald Trump basically saying, Canada, get your act together, all kicky in the, you know, chops. And then here we've got several senior military voices warning. Their military readiness is now so dangerous and insufficient. You know, we've got wars popping up all over the place. We're short 16,000 troops. They're not trained. We have a leadership vacuum obsolete weaponry. I mean, we're not battle-ready in one of the most dangerous times in our history. You know, once upon a time, certainly in my childhood, it was always Canada's punching above its weight. We always punched above our weight, and now we can't even make a fist. That's true. Christian Luprecht, professor at uh, Royal Military College of Canada, expert, of course, on security and defense, author of his latest, Security Cooperation Governance. I don't know, Christian, you have so, like, you write books at such a speed, I, I just envy your, your smarts and ability. I, I work with a great team, and I have terrific okay. people who share many of the concerns that I share about Canada, about our policy direction, and about the world. And so hopefully this is one way. Books are one way to raise the level of informed uh, conversation, the sort of work that you do um, in the media, and you in particular, Alex, is another way to make sure that people understand that simply putting our head in the sand and, and pretending that these are all other people's problems uh, that this is a terrible recipe. This is what the U.S. Congress did in the 1920s, and it's in some ways uh, what Canada did uh, early on in the century. And we ended up with two world wars that were very costly, very bloody, and uh, and a holocaust. Um, and look, I think uh, all of us agree that this is not an experience anybody wants to repeat. No, but we could very well, given today's um, you know climate, uh, where we we are. I feel like we're on this precipice of of a lot of unknowns, you know. And it's it's not a new problem. I mean, you can go back to the Harper government for not meeting targets. I would suggest the world was a much different place, but they they didn't do what what was needed. I mean, there was a time when Obama had lectured us, "Come on, Canada, you got to do more." We just haven't, um, because you know now we focus on things like gender and identity issues, or or dress code issues, or. Being 
being nice to each other issues um, for our military. We're not serious about it at all. That's the concern is, you know, if China or Russia decided that, hey, they wanted to claim our Arctic, they just can. They just they, they, they could. We have no no way to defend ourselves. Well, I would say reconstitution and readiness involves both. Uh, that we have an organization that, in terms of its equipment and its posture, uh, is as uh, unsuited for the 21st century as it is in terms of mm-hmm. its institutional culture. But you are also right that I would say a large part of the organization, uh, that this is more a matter of uh, a renova- renovating the organization rather than tor- tearing it down and building it back up. And so the question is, where do we invest economies of effort when you have so many forest fires uh, on the go uh, within the organization? And of course, ironically, domestically, uh, the increasing strains on the organization in terms of helping out in addition to the international uh, demands. And so, look, if you look at the second half of the 20th century, I think we need to get better at articulating to Canadians why we are investing. It's an insurance policy. And we drew down that insurance policy after the Cold War. The last time we spent 2% on defense was in the 1980s. That was, say, during the Cold War. Then we had the supposed peace dividend at the end of the Cold War that many of us warned about at the time. Um, Russia and its intentions are not about to go away. And, of course, this is exactly what we've seen. And so we live in a more dangerous world. And so this is part of articulating to Canadians that the premium that we need to pay on this insurance policy is critical not just to defend the country, but first and foremost, think of the Canadian Armed Forces not as a national defense organization, but as a foreign policy instrument. If you don't have contributions to make in equipment, in people, in genuine capacities, that means it reduces our ability to assert our interests because our allies increasingly are not taking us seriously. You mentioned the Canada punches above its weight. Look, Alex, I don't know much about boxing, but as far as I know, Mm -hmm. there is no boxing category of punching above your weight. You need to pick a category that you're going to punch in. And the category that we've picked currently is tending towards the featherweight category, which means that we're simply (laughs) not not in the ring ability to assert our interests. We're not even at rehearsal at this point. Like we we can't even put up uh, on the gloves. Um, But, you know. We, we, we were, I mean, it's so bad that in 2023, we could not take part with NATO um, in the largest exercises in hi- history. We had to sit on the sidelines, right? While, you know, other, every other nation, 24 other nations did this training exercise. We could not do that. And so I think the concern for a lot of, of people, I think, would be we're buying a lot of stuff for Ukraine and, and, and sending it for them to defend themselves. But we don't have anything here. Um, and by the time we get it, it could be years because we keep either pushing it back. You know, we could have had Stephen Harper's F-35s, but the Trudeau government canceled the contract. And now they've decided, OK, eight years later, we're going to put that contract in. It's triple the price and we're still back of the line. And so we keep getting these decisions that are a U-turn. But we're not ba- we're not going to be battle ready anytime soon, which is my concern. Well, it seems we make all the wrong decisions until we are actually forced to make the right one, whether that's with the F-35, whether that's with the P-8 surveillance plane, where the government literally made and announced its decision on the last day that the offer was open from the United States before it was going to shut down the production line on that plane. Um, And as we're learning, uh, and what I think the public often doesn't quite understand, these are capabilities that you can't just buy off the shelf. 
They take years to develop yeah. uh, and to procure. It takes years to train the people on this equipment. And of course, all that in a context where the Canadian Armed Forces are short on money uh, and short on people to trade them. And you, you need people who have in national defense, you need people with a lot of experience. This is why we deploy people. We put them in a lot of different contexts. Um, and so what we're also depriving ourselves of by not being able to take part in these exercises is precisely the sort of experiences that gave us this ability, for instance, to run multinational headquarters that made us so desirable for our allies to make sure that whenever there was a coalition operation, Canada would be there. And that that meant Canada had leverage because it could say, well, if we're going to participate in this coalition operation, then we also have interests and we want it done this way instead of that way, or we want these particular ends in addition to the other ends that we've already articulated. And that's the sort of leverage that we're losing, in addition, of course, to the capacity of being able to shape the 21st century in this increasingly dangerous environment, right. rather than being a bystander that's drafting behind our allies and partners. Right. And, and, and Christian, for all the years that we have spoken, and it's been a while now, um, what's your concern with what you're seeing? I mean, uh, you know, Russia and China very much in, in Arctic territory. Uh, you know, we know that China's making moves around Taiwan, a lot of moving parts, certainly in the Middle East and Ukraine and Russia. But what is your immediate concern? And what do you think the timeline is for Canada? No one, no one is suggesting, you know, Canada is going to arm up and go to war. But, but it, it's not that we're arming to go to war, but you want to be darn well ready is should you be attacked and we just aren't there but what's the time frame for you in your mind if we get serious about this what's my biggest concern values-based foreign policy foreign policies aren't based on values they are based on interests the interactions between countries aren't based on values this is precisely what gets us in trouble they are based on interests values are the means by which we deliver those interests and by which we assert those interests. And so my concern is we have it exactly the wrong way round, especially how cabinet currently perceives issues. Cabinet mm -hmm. somehow seems to believe that we build prosperity and security based on values, whereas, of course, the sequencing is exactly the other way around. If we cannot provide for safety and security, we're not going to be able to live in a prosperous country, a prosperous continent or a prosperous world, which also then means that we are not being able to assert the democratic institutions and values that we cherish and that we believe make our, our world stable and prosperous. All righty. Stay tuned on this front. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Hope you're well. My pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Have a good morning. You as well. That's Christian Olprecht over at uh, Royal Military College. His latest book is Security Cooperation Governance.